Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 8, we discussed the use of allegory and talked to Brandon Steenbach about creative storytelling. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babler, joined as always by my co-host, Drew. Drew, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I hear it's a lot warmer here than it is up there. I hear it is freezing. How are you doing up there, Tim? Uh, yeah. So this past week is has been has been crazy. We we had this thing called the polar vortex. In case some of those listening are happening to be in Florida or anything like that, don't move to Wisconsin. I've been trapped in my house. Uh, not not literally trapped, but the temperatures outside got to wind chills of around negative fifty. So I've been spending a lot of time doing work from home, but also watching a lot of movies, because what else do you do when it's freezing outside? Sure, sure. And actually, one of the movies I I like rewatching movies that I've seen before, and one of the ones I, I rewatched recently was uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. A classic. Uh, it is a good one. I mean, I loved reading those books when I was a kid. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't. When I first read it, I didn't understand what like allegory was, for example, and I had no idea that because C.S. Lewis is such a, a Christian author, he specifically wrote those books to to convey something in a way, you know, to convey really from from scripture. The the idea of of who Aslan is and what the the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve represent. That took me a while to to figure that out and rereading them later on as a as a young adult. And then just watching these movies every time, it just becomes more clear. Like, C.S. Lewis was a brilliant man. Yeah, and it's interesting because with, with them being allegorical like that, but they were, you know, they were still written kind of for children. You know, they, the words are simple enough that they, they make a good bedtime story or something like that. But the fact that, as you just said, like, when you were a kid, you didn't pick up on all of the symbolism and things like that. And so th- while they do do an excellent job of, of conveying biblical truths in, in a different way and using a fantasy setting and all that. But a, a kid might not pick it up, even though it's right there and it's easy to understand. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the tricky thing, it, it, whether that's someone's purpose or not. Because I know there are other authors and other stories that people would say, wait, is this allegory? But usually you don't have the kids asking that. But if it's in a simpler way, it's something to think about. I don't know if you've you know read books like that too. Yeah, sure. I mean, one that often gets compared to the Chronicles of Narnia is the Lord of the Rings. Some people might say it's allegory. Some people might just say there's themes and symbolism and things like that. And, and there's countless other examples too. It's interesting talking to, to storytellers or reading old interviews with them about what is what is their goal? How direct are they trying to be? Or is it just more symbolism and, and just kind of their Christian faith and their values kind of seeping into their stories? Sure. Well, I think that's something that we're really going to benefit from hearing uh, this interview with Brandon Steenbach here. Let's go ahead and give that a listen. Today, we're excited to welcome Brandon Steenbach to the podcast. Welcome, Brandon. Hi, guys. Brandon, for those listening, could you uh, give a little bit of information about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Brandon Steenbach. I serve at St. Mark Lutheran Church in uh, Green Bay and Tapir. And my role is to mainly develop and 
expand ministries to young adults. So kind of focusing on that 18 to 30 year old demographic. I also play and sing for worship at St. Mark. And uh, along with you, Tim, we have kind of a ministry going called Songs and Stories, where we do kind of a once a month informal worship and spend some time singing songs, singing praises, and also uh, telling the stories of God's grace, looking at what those stories in scripture uh, that were given that really, well, the way that we approach it is to look at those as the story of God's salvation and to try and share that story with people. So there's a few things I do. Excellent. So as a storyteller, I'm guessing that you put a fair amount of time into thinking about words and the specific words you want to be using because it can the words you choose can have a big effect on how your message is received. So do you have a, a, a process when you're you're going through and thinking about what specific word do I want to use here or, or just what sort of thoughts or filters do you go through when you're thinking about your words? Yeah, that's a really good question. So like you said, the storytelling is really all about kind of picking the right words at the right time to communicate a thought. And the thing is that words are always changing. What we mean by a certain word is always kind of changing by the context of the culture around us, right? So you know, a great example would be I was just listening to a, a podcast the other day, and they were talking about the fact that uh, the King James Version uh, used in, in Ecclesiastes, it used the word vanity. And now in our newer English versions today, we use the word meaningless. So, you know, the writer says everything is vanity or everything is meaningless. Well, what is, you know, I, I was kind of curious about that word vanity. So I went back to look at what did it actually mean back uh, when they used it in the King James Version. And they said that, or what I found out was that vanity is really actually from the same root word as vanish. And so it's something that just disappears. So the idea is that it's like a thought that goes through your head that makes perfect sense to you. And then when you speak it, it, it stops making sense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like when you have like, like, like as a husband, uh, I wanted to convince my wife that we should buy a new TV and she didn't want to. And so I had all these great arguments for it. And then it turned out that when I said them to her, they didn't make sense to me anymore, so, <laughs> let alone to her. So they were vanity. So that's just an example of how, how words change over time, right? So we have to think about what does this word really mean to somebody today? Um, so especially when I approach scripture, uh, I mean, I look at things. One of the things that I first do is kind of look and say, what are the weird words in here? What are the words that aren't or phrases that people are, are maybe not going to be able to understand or communicate with, you know, that that are going to make them feel like, I'm not sure I'm, I'm connecting with this or understanding this. And then I try to think, okay, if I was talking with somebody and explaining this story, just kind of trying to walk them through what's actually happening, how would I say that conversationally? So once I've kind of gone through that point, then I think, what are those words that are going to communicate most effectively in that context? What's going to speak to this person the most? But then there's also kind of the next step of that, which is figuring out what are the words that are richest, yeah. you know, that, that are going to have the most meaning packed into them. There's kind of an art to when you're storytelling, not just the words that you use, but also how you say the words. So for instance, recently I was taking some people through an exercise on this whole idea of biblical storytelling. And we were looking at the text in Genesis two, where God creates, creates woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And after he 
creates Eve, he brings her to Adam. And if you read the biblical text, it says that Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he's all excited. And in Hebrew saying, this is now is kind of like a way of saying like, wow, something big just happened. But like, we don't say this is now the coldest day, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) this is now the coldest day of the year. We don't say that. We don't talk that way. What we do say is, wow, today has got to be the coldest day in history. Or at last we have broken the record, right? At last. So what I was doing as I was walking through, through this with people was we wrote it that way. We said that Adam's first words when he sees Eve are at last, right? So he sees this. And then as we were kind of going through that, as you're, if you're going to tell that story, you know, you're going to put that emphasis in it, right? Ah, at last, Adam's seeing something that he's waited for, and he didn't know he was waiting for. He didn't know if he needed it, but but once he sees it, he knows. That's what I've been waiting for all along. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It reminded me of a podcast I was actually just listening to this morning, where they were talking about how not only can words lose their meaning over time or change their meaning over time, but sometimes a word can get kind of overused in certain contexts. And the people on the podcast, both were from the Charlotte area where I am. And so we're kind of in the middle of the Bible belt. And one of them told this story about how his pastor kind of told his entire congregation to stop using the word faith because it had lost its meaning in the Bible belt. People just use it so much that like its original intent, its original meaning was just lost on people. So in that particular instance, he's like, use the word trust instead. But with that idea that just based on your context, the meaning can be lost or can be different or have a different connotation. Is that something you think about as you're writing stories? Do you try to focus specifically on your context or do you try to make something that's a little more universal? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I try to be universal, but I, I don't know that you can encapsulate what everybody's experience is. So you just kind of have to go back to experiences that you can relate to. I think a lot of times if, if I can tell a story in a way that I can understand uh, you know, that, that makes makes sense to me as a person with my life experience, then generally speaking, I'm, I'm probably going to be communicating with a lot of other people, right? Because I have things in common with a lot of the people in my culture, the people that speak the same language in, as me and live in the same country as me, um, generally speaking, are going to, maybe maybe we've got cultural differences because of how we were raised and what part of the country we're in, but there are a lot of things that are still in common, right? Um, especially because we live in a world that's very globalized as well. We have a lot of access to each other through social media. So uh, I try to think in terms of, you know, what are the ways of talking about this that seem relatable to the majority of the people that I spend time with, right? So uh, maybe just to to give a more concrete example of that, like, like if you were to tell the story of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples on the Passover, and you want to kind of look at that moment where Jesus is about to call out Judas for being its betrayer, right? So I might talk about the fact that, okay, we've all been at a family meal where we knew that there were like two people in the room who didn't really like each other and that there was some kind of a tension between them. And we didn't know what that tension was because there was something that wasn't being said say maybe somebody's got a hurt that they're holding on to or somebody else is is thinking something judgy about the other person. And we just you just know there's that tension, but you don't know why. 
right? So as I'm talking about that story of Jesus with his disciples, you, you got to imagine the other disciples are sitting there like, man, Judas keeps giving Jesus the stink eye. Why? <laughs> like, what's wrong with Judas tonight? Like he's really quiet and he's just totally not himself. And Jesus, Jesus looks like he's kind of just keeping an eye on Judas, and, but they're sitting next to each other. Right. Because that was the whole thing that Jesus was like the person who dips his hand in the bowl with me. Okay, so the two people who are obviously about to have a major conflict are sitting right next to each other. (laughs) It's got to be awkward for everybody. But we can relate to that because we've been in situations like that where there's just this awkwardness of people who are next to each other. You just know something's about to blow up. But then Jesus, of course, he takes that moment. He controls it because he's because he's Jesus. He can do that. And instead of allowing it to sort of melt down into this yelling match or anything like that, it just basically says, hey, Judas, I I get it. Okay, I know what's happening, and you need to go do what you're going to do. So, yeah, I I think that's an example of how we would kind of take that that context of what's happening in the scripture there, but then try to see through it and say, what's the human element here that we can understand, that we can all relate to? As a storyteller who also used the phrase earlier, telling stories of God's grace. What you're doing is obviously a creative field. Otherwise, we would just, you know, read the words straight out of the Bible and just call it good. Yeah. But with with a message so important and so objectively truthful, like it's God's word, how, mm-hmm. how do you how do you find that balance between making sure that you are accurately conveying truth, but while at the same time doing so in a creative way? Yeah. And that's something that is a fantastic question, Drew, because it's something that's weighing on my mind every time I start doing this, which is really it's, it's how do I make sure I don't, I don't communicate something that's not true because to handle the truth is a weighty thing. We have a relativistic society around us that says, whatever you define the truth as that's, that's fine for you, but that's not how God defines truth. God defines truth as absolute according to him. And so we have to speak truth. Now, as far as how you balance that, I think that there's a lot of subtext to Scripture that God chose not to give us because maybe we didn't need it. Maybe it wasn't something that that the people that he was communicating those words to at the time would have understood or was maybe not necessary for them to understand the text, right? But now we are 2,000 plus years away from the original writing of this. And so sometimes... The creative part is to look through and find that subtext and say, okay, if I want to understand this, maybe I have to start pulling out some of that subtext. And let's say we're looking at the story of David and Bathsheba, which is a pretty incredible story in the middle of scripture. By the way, just as I can just go on a really brief tangent, man, the, the story of David and Bathsheba is so stunning when you think about the fact that uh, here's a guy who's called again and again, a man after God's own heart. And yet he goes and he sins in this very public and horrible way. I mean, the fact is that there's there's a lot to the relationship between David, Bathsheba, and Uriah that we don't even really see. And yet it shows the power of God's forgiveness that, um, you know, he uses Bathsheba as the, the one to carry on the line of the Savior, the, the, the mother of the one who's going to carry on the line of the Savior. And it's just, that's wild to me every time I think about it. Um. But so the subtext of that is that, you know, it starts out by saying, okay, in the springtime when all the kings went off to war, David was at the palace. That's an interesting statement that 
you might just gloss right over, except that you realize that what God is trying to say in the subtext there is that springtime is when all the kings are at war and David's not. And why isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the first thing. And so if I'm a creative storyteller, I might be taking that and I might be like, let's, let's, let's expand on that just a little bit and let it kind of sink in that David's sin started with him setting aside his duty in the first place. But then it goes on to the fact that he's standing in his palace and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba bathing on a roof. And I don't know about you guys, when I was a kid, I got told by my teacher that, oh, that's normal. You know, the people, that's where you're going to go get privacy. You go up onto your rooftop and bathe. Well, first of all, um, in their society, they didn't bathe that often. Um, <laughs> so that that's a little weird anyway. But then number two is the fact that actually, I, I did a little research on this, and it's really not normal for women to bathe on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> there was something else going on, especially if you are within eyeshot of the king's palace. There's something else going on there. But if you look at some of the other parts of scripture, what you find out is that Uriah actually had a relationship with David. He was one of David's trusted men. So there's probably a very good bet that David and Bathsheba had met before. And uh, maybe maybe there's a, 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 a little bit of a sneak in there that uh, Bathsheba was doing this on purpose. And that this was not just David being lustful and ordering a lady around and she has no choice, but that there was a, a relationship here that was inappropriate. All of that is, once again, that subtext stuff. But to kind of take that example, now, can I say for sure that Bathsheba was intentionally trying to seduce David? No, I can't say that for sure. I can suggest it, but does it change the truth or the meaning of what's happening in the story? Does the point of, of what God is trying to teach us through that story change if I put that in there? And the answer is no. So where God hasn't spoken and where the creative license doesn't change the meaning, doesn't deny the truth, doesn't set aside the truth, I think it's fair to get a little creative and say, hey, you know, how can we understand what's happening here a little bit better? So that's that's maybe where some of the creative license happens. Once again, I have to be very careful about that because if I am going to take creative license with scripture and I say something that actually abnegates the truth, in some way, then I'm really in trouble, right? Sure. Um, so I'm going to always go back to what's the big truth of this story? What is the thing this story is trying to convey? And how can I make sure that, that, that that's safe in the way that I tell this? Maybe even how can I make sure that that's the big truth that comes out with the way that I say this? Thank you very much for your time, Brandon. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. For those listening, is there any creative endeavors that you're currently embarking on that you'd like people to know about? Yeah, so actually, um, you know, we have this really, really cold weather going on in Wisconsin right now where uh, we really literally can't go outside our houses and be safe. And so <laughs> it's been a really great opportunity for me to start tackling a project that I wanted to work on for a long time, which is is to create a, a blog space where take biblical stories and approach them creatively. And so actually take kind of what we do in our songs and stories thing where I tell the story in a little bit different way than it's written in the scriptural text. And do kind of the same thing in a blog form. And then in addition to that on this blog space, I hope to be sharing just some of my own creative writing. So as a Christian, I don't necessarily believe that it's necessary that when I write a, a story out of my own head, when I just write a fiction, it doesn't always have to necessarily center around a deep biblical truth or be aimed at conveying one specific biblical theme. But at, by virtue of the fact that I'm a Christian, everything I write is going to be colored by that, right? So sure, yeah. I'm going to be looking at the world through the lens of my faith. 
And because I do that, any story I write is hopefully going to reflect those values that I hold and those things that I believe to be true. So I think that, therefore, it's beneficial to people um, in the same way that, you know, if you read Lord of the Rings, you know, Tolkien never overtly declares any biblical truth. But man, is it packed with all those little shades of it. Yeah. And as a as you read it, you can pull, get some some of those things and you can benefit from it as you read it. So um, I hope to share some of my own stories that are kind of my attempt to do the same thing. So anyway, bo- both of those things will be offered on that. And that's, uh, like I said, a work in progress that I hope to have done actually by the time this podcast launches. We'll have the link for you in the show notes when it becomes available. And it's going to be called uh, Kingdom Story. That's the name of the blog. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions you'd like to hear answers to or people you'd like to hear from, you can do so at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Wells Creatives. Yeah, we definitely appreciate the feedback and the questions. Be sure to also check us out on patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. There you can get access to bonus content and uncut episodes that are exclusively available to our patron subscribers. Our last few interviews have both been quite lengthy, so we have uncut episodes for both of them. And I would expect many of our interviews going forward as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.